few years ago now, I used to work as a midwife at Lithgow Hospital. Lithgow is a small country town and the hospital is a small country hospital. There's just 38 beds in the whole hospital. And every now and then, we would have a situation that we really couldn't handle, that we needed help with. I'll never forget one night we had this little baby that was born and it was born too early. And we tried to stop the labour, we'd done everything we could to try and prevent this little boy from being born too early. But he was born and he couldn't breathe for himself. He needed a ventilator, but out in Lithgow Hospital, we didn't have ventilators. And so using the bag and the mask, I breathed for this little baby for about two hours. And in those situations, we used to call Care Flight, the helicopter, and they would send this chopper with specialist equipment and a ventilator and staff from Nepean Hospital. And um, they would arrive. I never forget the relief that I would feel when I could hear that helicopter coming into land. And even now, years later, whenever I hear a helicopter, because they're often coming into Wyong Hospital, we hear them quite close to here, I find myself thinking, I wonder who's going to be in that helicopter tonight. I wonder, I wonder whose child is sick or whose family has been turned upside down right at this very moment. I wonder who started today with no idea that tonight they or their loved one would be battling for their life in that helicopter. Somehow the sound of a helicopter reminds me of how fragile life is. And watching the news does the same thing. We've had image after image this week, haven't we? Coming out of Iraq that just reminds you in a, in a horrendous way of how fragile life is. We hear on the news that there's been another pile-up on the F3 or there's been another drive-by killing in, in the western suburbs. Not long ago, a little five-year-old boy was swimming at Pearl Beach. Do you remember that? Suddenly, he's just gone. He's disappeared. Plane load of people take off from Amsterdam and then they're just shot out of the sky. Night after night on the news, we hear about people who started their day thinking, oh, this is a normal day, I've got to go to work, I've got to pay some bills, I need to get some meat for dinner on the way home. And then suddenly, without any warning, they're in a helicopter fighting for their lives. They're getting a call for the police. They're facing a future that is nothing like the future that they imagined that they'd be having. Life is just so fragile. So if you've been here in the last little while, you'll know that we've been working our way through the book of James in the New Testament. And tonight, James reminds us of that sobering fact, that life is fragile. He says life's like a morning fog. It's there and then... It's just gone. 
So if you have your Bible with you, turn with you, turn with me to James chapter four, verse thirteen. If not, just listen, I'll read it to you. James four thirteen. Look here, you who say Today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise you're boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now, we don't have morning fogs very often on the Central Coast. Helen, out at Bathurst, you would have morning fogs a lot more often than us. When we lived at Hartley, there was fog probably most mornings in the winter. Hartley's out past the Blue Mountains on your way out towards Bathurst, you'd look out the window and there'd be a thin layer of fog covering the ground, just hovering there. And then the sun would come up over the top of the mountains and almost instantly the fog would just disappear. James says that's what our lives are like. One minute we're alive and the next minute we're just gone. James says one minute you're planning what you're going to do, I'll go there, I'll do that, I'll have this career, I'll make this much money. And then the next minute, your life is just gone. It's over. Over the years, I've known a few people who have died just like that. One minute they're alive and living life, and the next minute they're gone. Murray's dad, my father-in-law, fit and healthy man sitting at the computer paying some bills, just about to go fishing. And then he just slumps over the keyboard and he's gone. There was a guy from our church, Alan his name was, he was painting his mum's house. And his wife went out to take him a drink and she found him collapsed. He'd gone, his life was over. And some of you would remember Steve Manuel. He was part of our family here. Super fit man in his 50s. He was actually running the day he died. He was doing a a fun run up in the Wadigans. Felt a little bit unwell. Sat down on the side of the track. His life's over. The statistics on death are quite impressive. 100% of people will die. And (laughs) you're all smiling. You shouldn't be happy about that. You should be... 100% of you, we're all going to die. And we don't know when it's going to be, do we? And you'd think with statistics like that, that people would be living with that in mind making the most of every day, making sure that they're ready to face God. But they don't. We don't. We put it out of our minds, don't we? Because, well, it's a bit unpleasant and a bit morbid and we don't really want to think about it. But to not be ready for something that is 100% certain is really foolish, isn't it? 
But so many of us live like that. So what does James say about how we should live in light of the fact that our lives are so fragile? Let's have a look again at verse 13. He says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year, we'll do business there and we'll make a profit. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. So what was the problem with how these people were living? Is it that they were planning? Was the planning the problem? I don't think so. Because in other places in the Bible, planning is encouraged. If you look in Romans 15, you'll see that Paul made quite detailed plans about where he was going and what he was going to do. And then have a look at this in Luke 14, verse 28. It says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. The planning is not the issue. So is it that the people were being capitalistic? They're talking about making a profit. I don't think that's the issue either. I think the issue is about sovereignty, about who is in control, who is calling the shots. See, the Paul that made detailed plans, he did so guided by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 15, he says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to me to do such and such. And if you read 2 Corinthians, verse 1, you'll see that Paul was also willing to change his plans when guided by God to do so. So James says, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and we'll do this or that, otherwise you're boasting about your own plans. Seems like these people were planning their lives, but their plans didn't include God. They were assuming that they were in control of their future and that everything would go according to their plans. And James says it should be about what the Lord wants, what the Lord plans, what he wants you to do. God is God. I am not God. God is in charge. I'm not in charge. God knows the future. I don't know the future. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Ask yourself right now, do I live like that? Do I live like God is God? Or do I live like I am God? Like I'm in charge, like I'm the master of my future, like I have a plan and a purpose for my life. 
I've lived both ways. And I can tell you that the most fulfilling, most successful, most rewarding life is found when I allow God to be God and I choose to live his plan and purpose for me. So I know what your next question is going to be because I've asked it myself. How do I know? How do I know? I want God to be in control of my life. I I want to live his purposes for me. I want to do what he wants me to do. But how do I know? If it was up to me, I'd put it in an email. It would be clear and concise with steps, with details. Do that, then do that, then do that. But I'm not God. Probably a good thing that I'm not. God could do that. He has done that. He's probably, he may have, not, maybe not an email, but you, some of you may have had experience of God very clearly giving you some very clear direction. He wrote on a wall in the Old Testament to King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he sometimes does give clear, concise construct instructions, but often he chooses not to. See, for God, it's about relationship. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to cling to him, to talk to him, to wrestle with him, to argue with him. And he knows that we wouldn't do that if he emailed us the steps. So if you want to hear from God about his plan and his purpose for your life, and he does have one, you need to spend time with him. Talk to him. Spend time in his word. Talk to some godly people that you trust. Tell God, I want to give you the reins. Show me what you want me to do with my life. And trust me, if you really want to hear it, he'll show you. It might not be immediate. It might not be step, step, step in an email, but he will show you what his plan and his purpose for your life is. Finally, just have a look at the last verses of this passage. Verse 15, what you ought to say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. James says that leaving God out of your plans shows great pride. It says, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. It's pride. And you know what? God hates it. He hates pride. Listen to these verses. Psalm 10 verse 4. In his pride the wicked do not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. Leviticus 26, 19, I will break down your stubborn pride. Proverbs eleven two. when pride comes, then comes disgrace. James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. I do not want to be opposed by God. The final verse, verse 17, at first glance it seems a little bit disjointed from the previous verses, but the word remember, or the NIV says therefore, 
it seems to indicate that it's linked. James is saying, therefore, I've urged you to take the Lord into consideration in all your planning. I've, I've urged you to allow God to be God and to guide every part of your life. So now you have no excuse. You know what you are to do and if you refuse to do it, you sin. It's sinful. God will reveal his purpose and his plan for your life to you. And if you're anything like me, it may take a while for him to get through to you. But when he does, and when you know what he wants, you have to be obedient. Even if obedience is scary and it's risky, because to do anything else is just plain sinful. Life is like a morning mist. It's here and then it's gone. It's so fragile. None of us know how long we have on this earth. But we can be sure of one thing. And that is that one day we will all die. And then we will have to face our creator, God. And we will have to give account for how we've lived our lives when we've been here on earth, for whether we've lived God's plan and purpose for our lives or whether we've lived our plan and purpose for our lives. I want us just to take some time to respond to this teaching from James. Can we bow our heads? Just, let's just bow our heads together. James says that life is a mist. It's here and it's gone. Maybe you've never even thought about that. What would happen if you died tonight? If you had to face God tonight? Can you say with all confidence that God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would there be some regret? Would you face God saying, man, I wish I had done this. Or I wish I hadn't done that. Or would God say to you, you know what? I never even knew you. So just in the quiet, it's just between you and God. Spend some time talking to God. Tell him what you're feeling. Confess your failure if you need to. Commit to starting afresh if you need to. Commit to living your life as he would want you to live. In full surrender and obedience to him. You can say to God, Lord, I'm... I'm tired of being God. I want to let you be God. I want to hand over the reins to you. I want to leave your plan and purpose for my life. Show me what you want me to do. How you want me to live. Where you want me to go.
Lord, we thank you for the reminder from your word tonight of how fragile our lives are. None of us knows what tonight or tomorrow or next week will bring. Lord, we pray that we would live our lives recognising that every day is a gift from you. We're sorry for the way that, full of pride, we crowd you out. We live our lives as if we are God, as if we're invincible, as if we will never have to give account for the way we have lived to our Creator. We're sorry for that, Lord. And we pray that tonight you would create in us clean hearts and right spirits and that we would go into tomorrow with only you on the throne of our lives. And we thank you that if, if we're willing to do that, that you promise us not easy lives, but abundant lives. Lives that are full of purpose and meaning and hope. We thank you for that promise. May we know it to be true tonight, tomorrow and every day. Amen.